When deciding what method of birth control to use, the upfront cost can limit the options people have to make an informed decision about the method that's right for them. In this episode of Unraveled, producers Elena De Luigi and Simone Gavras unpack how free access to contraception could make the future of healthcare more accessible for Ontarians. My name is FYM Fojo, and this is Unraveled. I'm here to pick up my birth control prescription. 1712. Thank you. I've been thinking about one thing that has bothered me since I was a teenager. I've had tons of conversations with friends about the birth control method they're on. Most are on the pill. Some have an IUD. Others have looked into the ring. Many of them are looking for an option that'll impact their hormones less. But all of them have said how expensive these options are. So in the meantime, birth control pills it is. What an unfair trade-off. Why do Ontarians have to pay for birth control? We spoke with TK Pritchard. They're the executive director at the SHORE Center based in Waterloo. SHORE stands for Sexual Health, Options, Resources, and Education. As the executive director, they understand the struggle people face when choosing the right method of contraception and an affordable one. For some folks, if they are able to afford one method, they may choose the method that they can afford, but that's not necessarily the right method for them. There's many different reasons that folks choose different forms of birth control from, you know, not having tolerance for high loads of hormones or it being a safer method for them. We see a lot of people at organizations who are experiencing um, intimate partner violence or reproductive coercion. And so their, their partners can't know that they're accessing birth control. And so there's limited methods that are going to uh, have that kind of discrete nature to them. It also just takes away a lot of choice from people. The idea that you're not having control over the method of birth control that's going to work best for you. And for folks who can't afford them, then it often means they're not accessing any form of birth control, which we know then often results in unintended pregnancies. And then the results often in folks coming to access abortion, which is also not incredibly accessible in Ontario. So there's you know a lot of issues when we don't actually have universal coverage, meaning that folks can't access the birth control of their choice. Uh, and we see a lot of then kind of additional outcomes and impacts for people who have not been able to make the decision that's right for them. Now, to help with new terminology that we're going to hear throughout the episode, here's a quick lesson on an acronym that might be uncommon to some. According to the Shore Center website, an IUD, or an intrauterine device, is a small T-shaped device that's put into the uterus. There's the non-hormonal one, which is a copper IUD, that's essentially used to make the uterus inhabitable for sperm to fertilize an egg. It thickens the mucus in the cervix too, making it difficult for sperm to get through anyway. Then there's the hormonal option, which works in a similar way, but releases a hormone slowly over time. It also thickens the mucus and makes the uterus inhabitable, similar to the non-hormonal option, and also makes the lining of the uterus thinner, making it harder for an egg to stick. 
Brie is one of those people who is trying to find the right method of contraception for herself. She's a classmate of mine and has asked us to keep her last name out of the podcast to protect her privacy. As a 21-year-old woman, she's already had quite the experience with the birth control pill, to the point where she has opted to now go off of it altogether. I first went on birth control when I want to say I was 15 years old. Thinking back now seems like a pretty young age to have (laughs) been on birth control, but I guess that differs for everyone. I initially went on it um, just to help regulate my period because I was having a really hard time with it. And I was like late at getting it too. I got it when I was 14. So that was my main purpose. And also to try and like help keep my skin clear and stuff like that. So I was looking at more of the other benefits of it rather than as a contraceptive. And then when I was 18 years old, it was the summer of when I was 18. So then I started breaking out like really, really, really badly across my face, across my chest, my back, everything. Um, And it really took a hit to my self-esteem, especially during the summer, because that's when you're not wearing as like many layers and stuff like that. So then I got off of it for that reason. And it was one specific brand. I think it was called Aless. Then I went to the doctors concerning that. And then he was like, oh, it's probably like because like maybe that birth control is just not compatible with your body anymore. So then I took a break from birth control for the summer, and then I went back on birth control onto a different brand. I think it was called Freya. I went on that because like my acne wasn't getting better. So went back on that to continue like regulating it. And then I also went on it sexual intercourse purposes. Then just recently, again, I started breaking out really badly. I was losing hair. I gained a lot of weight in a weird, very short time period. So just a lot of stuff was like fluctuating. It was also really negatively impacting my mood. So that was like another thing that I had noticed. So with all of those factors, I was just like, you know what? I'm just tired of it. (laughs) So that's when I decided to go off of it. Like many young people, Brie was prescribed hormonal birth control to regulate her periods and control her acne when she was 15. But until OHIP Plus launched in January 2018, She said she was paying for her birth control out of pocket. I can't remember exactly when, but sometime in 2019. Prior to that, I did have to pay for my birth control when it was prescribed to me. I was given, I think it was for like three packs I would get each time. And it was around $25 to $28 or so. It sounds silly, I know. Teenagers paying for their contraception. But many people do pay for birth control, either through their insurance plan or out of pocket. They can also access it through OHIP Plus, which allows young people under the age of 24 who are not covered by a private insurance plan to access more than 5,000 prescription drugs for free. Bill Campbell, a media spokesperson for the Ministry of Health, said this in an emailed statement, quote, the Ontario Drug Benefit Program formularly lists over 5,000 drug products, including many commonly used prescription birth control products. Additionally, approximately 1,000 products are funded on a case-by-case basis, according to specified criteria through the Ontario Drug Benefits Exceptional Access Program, unquote. But once you pass that 25th birthday, you're expected to foot the bill if you don't already have an insurance plan to cover the costs. 
So on the low end, oral contraceptive methods can be around $20 a month. So folks are looking at around $240 to $250 a year, but that tends to be the generic brand one. So they can be quite a bit more. Monthly costs can go as high as $50 or more. Other forms, again, kind of depend on the fees associated with the pharmacy, but you can be looking, for example, for uh, an IUD or an IUS insertion. Um, those can be up to $500 for a five-year IUD IUS, which would be an upfront cost for folks. So really, there is a pretty big range, and a lot of the other methods are somewhere in the middle, but most people are looking at anywhere from $240 to $500 when they're purchasing for a control. Through insurance plans that are commonly seen in Ontario, the type of coverage each plan offers depends on your employer or how much you pay per month. We looked into some insurance plans and found that they either covered certain types of contraceptives versus others, or only covered 80% of the cost of the contraceptive. This means you'd have to cover the rest of the cost each month, and those costs can add up. For a lot of people, the cost is just so prohibitive. So they're going to pick the option that is affordable for them. You know, again, not all insurance plans really list the various options. And sometimes it's because a, a birth control is newer. So something like Nexplanine, it just might not be listed by your insurance company yet. For some folks, if you call and explain what Nexplanine is to them, they will add it. But that also requires a fair amount of self-advocacy to be able to do that. For people who don't have time, who, you know, especially folks who are navigating a high number of other barriers in their life to try and advocate to an insurance company to cover a birth control method is really difficult. And so, you know, that recognition that people deserve that kind of full choice uh, of what method is going to work best for them. Uh, and especially as, you know, newer options come out, as more options are approved, you know, again, there's such a time delay in them getting covered if they are covered at all. Right now in Ontario, there are close to 20 forms of contraceptive methods available. There's a, obviously a wide number of oral contraceptives, which are different combinations of hormonal methods. And so some folks are going to pick ones that have different hormonal makeups that, that are going to be better for their needs and for their health. It's important to note that different forms of hormonal birth control also interact with different medications, with different health conditions. Also in the hormonals, there are the IUDs or IUSs that can be inserted. Nexplanon, the newer form of implant, the arm implant is available as a hormonal method as well. There's a Nuva ring which is inserted uh, into the vagina and it's a, a month-long hormonal method for folks. And then kind of in our non-hormonal options, you're really looking at, at the copper IUDs, condom use, and you know other kind of fertility awareness-based methods. But the non-hormonal methods are really limited. Also folks in the hormonal methods can access the, the shot depot uh, as well as there's a patch. Uh, and, and both of those are a little less common. We see a lot of folks accessing oral contraceptives for sure. A lot of folks accessing, you know, IUDs for, as well. It's also important to note that these hormonal and non-hormonal options, other than the condom or dental dam, don't protect against STIs. Dr. Julie Thorne is the current family planning lead for Women's College Hospital, and she says she sees people opting for the pill often. 
the birth control pill is the thing that people think the most often. It's got the most variety of options available, but it comes in a patch and a ring, like you mentioned. Those are not covered by our social insurance programs that do exist and they can be expensive, but they can be ways of taking that contraception that are a lot more acceptable to people. And depending on their insurance cover, most private plans do cover most of the other methods. Um, but if you need to pay for it out of pocket in the short term, paying $30 a month or $50 a month sometimes is a little more feasible than paying $450 out of pocket. That's a lot to put up. And if you only make $800 a month and you have to cover your rent and maybe your kids are in daycare, like that money goes away really fast. You can try to get into the heads of people who, who maybe aren't in favor of universal contraception and and they say well can't they save for it but if it takes them a year or two years to save for it that's a lot of time where you don't have effective contraception and pregnancy risks are high in Bree's case she was first on a less a common combination pill prescribed by clinicians and then by 18 she switched to freya and now she's off it all together since Bree relied on the hormones in the birth control pill to regulate her period and acne, she noticed how the change positively affected her body once she stopped taking it this year. In terms of like how I feel, I'm actually feeling a lot better. It's kind of like uh, interesting to think, look back, especially like if I can talk about like when I am on my period, like when I was on my birth control, I've always had really nauseous, like nausea has been like the number one side effect of my period more so than like cramps have been um and then i've actually noticed that being off birth control um the cramps are less intense um the nausea is less intense and i also just have like um a little bit uh easier of a time managing like my hormones and stuff like like the whole concept of like having more emotion during the period and stuff like that i just feel like the birth control in a way Sure, it had like benefits and stuff, but I felt like the cons definitely outweighed the pros. The biggest barrier experts find is that there's a lack of education for clinicians and patients who may unfortunately need to advocate for themselves. And Bree says she's seen this lack of education firsthand as a high school student. I think it would have been easier if we had like more of a flesh out conversation in terms of like what was available because like at 15, I guess it's kind of different, right? Because like 15, I'm still teenager, 18, still teenager, but I am an adult at that point. So it would have been interesting for at least the conversation of an IUD to have come up when I was 18. But then again, I guess it didn't matter because I didn't, would not have chosen that. <laughs> um, but it, it, I think it would have been good because we don't really learn about contraceptives all that much. Like personally, I grew up in like um, a Catholic community and I went to a Catholic high school. And like, in terms of what we were taught about like sex, we literally just the most scientific way of about it. There was nothing really about um, pleasure, contraceptives or anything like that. TK outlines how clinicians are also just as important when making an educated decision for the patient. Clinicians can make choices about what procedures they offer, uh, especially family clinicians. There's a need to have education campaigns for general practitioners, for doctors and healthcare providers about newer forms of birth control and make sure that they have the information, feel comfortable prescribing and inserting. Otherwise, you know, we can fund it, but then if the access isn't there, it doesn't really matter. There's very limited actually options to get the birth control as well sometimes. 
This is not a dissimilar issue from IUD insertions and why you often see such long waits to have them inserted because very few people take the training and actually offer them. And so people are forced to see uh, an OB-GYN and wait to see them on a pretty long list or try to access a clinic that has specialty care. And again, those waits can be quite long. In December 2020, healthcare workers supported the Cover Contraception campaign and wrote an open letter to Premier Doug Ford and Health Minister Christine Elliott. The letter demanded universal, no-cost contraception coverage in Ontario. A part of the letter reads, quote, The Ontario government must act now to champion the reproductive rights, health, and autonomy of its peoples and implement universal, no-cost contraception coverage for all. Cost is the single greatest barrier to contraceptive access in our nation. Each different contraception option, pill, patch, ring, intrauterine device, carries a cost of several hundred dollars per year. With a looming economic recession, widespread loss of employment, and private coverage options, access has never been more compromised. Now is the time to act. Universal coverage improves access to contraception, proves cost-effective, and confers significant savings in downstream medical costs, unquote. Dr. Thorne says the letter received no response. This campaign isn't the only group advocating for no-cost contraception in the country. On the West Coast in British Columbia, the Access BC campaign is gaining traction as well. Their campaign includes holding their NDP government to their 2020 election promise to make all prescription contraceptives free. So what needs to be done here in Ontario? Canada subscribes to the Sustainable Development Goals, which is a, an international initiative to try to increase health for all, and it includes universal health care. And within that is a mandate for sexual and reproductive health, including universal access to contraception. And I, I really think if that if they're going to support that as something that's important, they need to put the building blocks in place to make that accessible to Canadians and in the people who live here, I should say. Dr. Thorne says that the estimated absolute costs to make this happen are actually quite small. There's a pretty easy argument to say, well, if they just looked at the numbers and the amount that a pregnancy costs the system and the amount that universal contraception would cost the system, and when you buy in bulk, you get discounts, same as anywhere else it's pretty clear that contraception would be much more cost-saving. They just need to make it a priority and then create a plan and make it happen. And it probably wouldn't be a small task. Universal pharmacare is not something that we have in place, but they could look at our existing social insurance models and say, okay, so how do we make this accessible for everybody and then implement it? Both Dr. Thorne and TK agree that the benefits far outweigh any risks when making universal free contraceptives across the province a reality. I do certainly know that there are people who are anti-choice, who are anti-sexual and reproductive health, whether that comes from religious motivations or political motivations, and that they can sometimes have the ear of people in power or be people in power. I don't have any particular people to draw attention to, but we certainly have a society and history of oppressing women and controlling them through their sexual and reproductive health, and, and that this is a, you know, a continued fallout of that. We probably will hear 
once it starts to get popular and we did when OHIP plus started to become a thing oh if you make it free then, then everybody's going to start to have sex it's like the HPV vaccine you know, we give them the HPV vaccine and they're all going to start to have sex especially teenagers and like we know that that's not true and and that they were already having sex and if at least they're getting covered and if that population where there are some opinions about is covered then we just need to expand it to adults With a provincial election coming up in 2022, the future of this conversation is nearer than we think. Both Dr. Thorne and TK say it's an opportunity for the Ford government to engage in conversations with clinicians and sexual health experts to change how the province offers birth control options to Ontarians. As we start to gear up for such an election, we need to think about how we can make noise. I work a lot with uh, Action Canada for Sexual Reproductive Health and Rights for a Great Advocacy Organization, and we, they actually worked with us in developing our letter. And so we'll circle back with them and figure out how we can uh, get a little bit of attention so that this is uh, an election issue. Our team reached out to the Ontario government to ask if offering free birth control to all Ontarians was something it would consider. Bill Campbell from the Ministry of Health said the following. Quote, providing free contraceptives is a decision made at the local public health unit level through their sexual health clinics based on local population needs. Ontarians with a valid OHIP card may be eligible to receive coverage through the Ontario Drug Benefit Program if they qualify under one of the eligibility streams, unquote. We also contacted the other major parties in the province, NDP and Liberal Party. And they said access to free birth control in Ontario is an important part of inclusive health care. Here's Jill Andrew, who's the MPP for Toronto St. Paul's and the Ontario NDP Women's Issues Critic. Here she's talking about her party's perspective on offering free birth control in the province. In an emailed statement, she says the NDP's support for pharmacare means they would make prescription contraceptives free, which could include common methods like the pill, the patch, and IUDs. In the Ontario NDP, we certainly support making birth control free. I think it's uh, necessary, especially in a city where we're dealing with a crisis of affordability, whether we're talking, you know, housing, whether we're talking access to food, you know, whatever we're talking about, there's always an issue with affordability. You know, this will empower people. Uh, it'll allow folks to have more freedom in their choices, in their safe choices. Um, it will allow them to, I strongly believe, have healthier relationships and, and firmly more autonomy, more autonomy around the choices they make that impact their bodies. The Liberal Women's Issues critic Lucille Collard, who's the MPP for Ottawa Vanier, says she doesn't see why free contraception can't become a reality. Yeah, when talking about contraception, I think it's equally important, even more so probably, uh, especially when we're thinking about, uh, you know, more vulnerable people that maybe, uh, you know, having access to a contraceptive 
is is an issue. So it is very important that uh, contraceptive be accessible as much as possible, for sure. And education also that would come with it. I know it's an important issue. I don't think the details or the platform on that issue are out yet. I, I, I know they're working on it. And it's something that the Liberal Party has an interest in. They certainly, in terms of philosophy or policy, uh, you know, we, we certainly agree that contraceptives should be made readily available for everyone who needs it, and and that somebody shouldn't be discriminated against based on their economic situation. In the meantime, advocates for free contraception in Ontario are hopeful that this kind of healthcare will become available in their lifetime. TK says one way is to offer a national or provincial pharmacare program. Part of it is about we could look at a national plan, we could look at a provincial plan. It's not just offering coverage, it's also offering expansive coverage. So again, OHIP Plus is a great example of a program that is perhaps well-intended, but has a lot of issues on the other side of it. So they're not listing all forms of birth control, which again, takes away that choice and autonomy from folks. But by not covering people with private insurance, you're leaving people who can't have, for example, if it's their parents' insurance, they can't have their parents knowing that they're accessing birth control. And you're leaving that issue there. You're also leaving issues of only partial coverage. And so the plan has to be full coverage for all methods of birth control. And it's also not just about the financial aspect. There also needs to be support for uh, healthcare providers to really feel comfortable with prescribing all of those different methods. All of that to say it's so important that, you know, a, a universal coverage plan would really take into account the need to cover all of the various forms of birth control and ensure that folks could actually make a choice for what's going to work for them and aren't forced to pick the one that's going to be free for them. As for Bree, she says she'll reconsider going back on some method of birth control in the future after giving her body some time to rest. I'll probably reconsider it since I've been off of it for a few months. I've noticed that like going off of it for a period of time before like deciding that I want to go on it again was like a kind of a good move for me. So basically, um, I just read a lot of articles and hear a lot of things in terms of like how negative effects of birth control like can affect your body in terms of like cancerous uh, cells and stuff like that. And so, yeah, that's just something that I'm also like uh, at least conscious of. And then I always kind of like take into effect in terms of like questioning, oh, do I want to get back back on birth control? Why do I want to get back on it? Do I really need to go back on it? Like, is it that important if I'm going with these risks and stuff like that? Um, just with like my past experience, I feel like it's made me a little more wary just because I have had been on two different kinds and they both have been kind of like difficult for me to stay on for more than a couple of years. For those who are looking for more information on how to find the right birth control method for them, contact the Shore Center by visiting their website at shorecenter.ca. You can also reach out to your nearest Planned Parenthood, Action Canada for Sexual Health and Rights, and or your healthcare provider. At this rate, hopefully universal no-cost contraception is something we'll end up seeing in the near future. episode of Unraveled was reported and produced by Elena DeLuigi and Simone Gavros.
your host, Efwa Fodro. Our associate producer is Taha Hashmani, and our executive producer is Elena Duluigi. Special thanks to John Powers for composing our theme music, and Ben Shelley for creating our podcast artwork. Our professor is Amanda Capito, and special thanks to Lindsay Hanna and Angela Glover.